Welcome back to Tales from a Cult Insider. I am your insider and your former unwilling cultist, Jared Garrett. I am here to tell you stories. This is episode 26. It is season two, and it is only episode two of season two. If you haven't listened to all the rest of the episodes, I recommend you do so. There's a lot of stuff that I've been talking about over the last year that you will find quite interesting. In any case, here we are. It's episode 26 overall, and I'm excited to talk about random double standards. But before I do so, here is your quick recap of all this stuff. I was born and raised in a cult, a real-life commune and cult that started out in the 60s as an offshoot of Scientology called the Process Church of the Final Judgment. And for a little while, it was one of the more infamous cults in the UK and the USA. When I was born, and not because I was born, but at the, at the, about the same time, the cult broke apart into those people dedicated to the process, so to speak, and those who made a new culty commune called the Foundation Faith of the Millennium, which evolved over the years and finally morphed into Best Friends Animal Society. I'm here to tell you all about being a kid in this somewhat strange, pretty secretive, religious commune. I'm also here because sometimes I have a little more anger to work through, so some of these episodes are going to serve as opportunities for, for me to work through some of what hurt then and what still hurts. I will tell you that not much hurts le- uh, anymore. I've been uh, praying, especially lately, to make sure that I am free from anger. I don't need anger in my life, especially due to what those folks did to me. Um, I have a really good life. I'm a very happy dude, one of the happiest people you'll probably ever meet. Now, before we get into today's episode, you may be noticing that Jared's voice is sounding a little strange. Well, that makes sense. I will tell you why. I was at a convention, um, really an expo, uh, over the last three days. Well, not the last three days, but Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Uh, it, it was. It's called Salt Lake City Fan Experience, or Fanex for short. It used to be a Comic-Con, but San Diego decided to be knuckleheads and sue them. Anyway, it's a big event, and while even though we artist-creator types were kind of pushed off a little bit where it was hard for people to find us, um, I still pushed and pushed and hustled and wound up doing pretty well. I'm really delighted by my results. I wouldn't have minded more, but of course, I mean, who wouldn't mind more? But I'm happy with how it went, but I was talking for hours straight, and my voice isn't used to that, and so I'm a little uh, kind of horse, I guess you could say. I'm a little horse. Nay. Anyway. Uh, yeah, you knew I was going to make that joke. I'm a dad. I'm not going to resist that kind of desire to make a joke like that. Uh, so that's why I'm a little bit rough, a little tired too, still recovering my energy from that boy. It was awesome. People are great. Got some great new readers and friends there. Uh, what a, what a privilege and honor that was. Um, uh, as always, your questions will be answered. Don't hesitate to ask. You can contact me at Jared. That's J-A-R-E-D at JaredGarrett.com. J-A-R-E-D-G-A-R-R-E-T-T.com. Send me your questions, your comments. Happy to answer them here on the air. Uh, no questions as of yet. I think that we may be uh, still building a little bit of or coming back to, to, to listenership. But you're welcome to answer questions or ask questions. Uh, as you probably already heard, this is probably the last season for this podcast, but let's jump right into what we're going to talk about today. You see that the title is called, um, oh, yeah, 26, yeah, Random Double Standards. So, let's talk about some random double standards. 
But before I do, I'm sorry, real quick. You can support this podcast. Scroll down a little bit in your podcast player. There should be a link. Uh, feel free, and I encourage you and ask you to support this podcast by clicking on the link and maybe dropping a bit of money on there. A uh, buck or two makes a big difference, especially from the kind of delightful number of people who are listening to this podcast. And may I remind you, tell your friends, guys. Tell your enemies. Tell your coworkers about this funky guy who records a podcast about growing up in a Scientology-type cult. Now, on we go. This interesting cult and commune had a really bizarre number of random double standards. Um, now, there are a lot of smaller ones here and there, and certainly there was a lot of not practicing what you preach. Uh, we were often told not to swear, but boy, some of those adults, they swore up a blue streak, like freaking drunken sailors on leave, you know? Um, and so... But we weren't allowed to swear. We had to have clean mouths. Ooh, clean mouths. Uh, we weren't supposed to speak angrily, but by golly, you know Lucia sure did. Uh, we, uh, and among, among many, many other things. But here, let's get into some more, some bigger, fairly systematic, systemic things. Okay, so this was a cult that started in the 60s in Oxford amongst people who had, uh, I don't know if they were like members of Scientology or if they were people who were trying kind of the e-meter and other Scientology practices out. But in any case, that's what was going on there. That's where they all got together and got got, got started, you could say. And that's fine. Um, it was the 60s, and so there was a lot of free love stuff. And, you know, as, on, on the Best Friends site, you can see they talk about how they kind of went the other way. They, they didn't like drugs. Well, that was because they were told not to use drugs by Marianne. Um, they, I don't know if it mentions anything about sex, but, you know, whatever. They, they were very prudish to us. Uh, we were treated, it felt like I was being raised in a, in a puritanical group in a way, if you stop and think about it, to the point of, you know, sex seemed like a bad word. The word sex seemed like a bad word. For, for the longest time, I had trouble saying the word penis and the word vagina, you know, I, I, and I hesitated. I just wanted to make sure my kids weren't awake to hear me uh, saying these wor words all loud because that sounds a little random. But those aren't bad words. Penis, vagina, you know, bum, anus, all that stuff. Sorry for the graphicness if that bothers you. Those aren't bad words. Sex isn't a bad word. Um, I mean, the, there are plenty of four-letter words that are bad words that I don't like to say or taboo words for our society. And I've, you know, bought into that particular taboo and I'm down with it. I don't have a problem with it. But um, to, one, one example which I might have shared before uh, uh, of how prudish this society, the, co the com society and community that they'd made, um, and I have a couple examples of this, was, um, you know, we, we, this, the word sex felt uncomfortable. It felt like a bad word. And so uh, there's a song back in the day, and I, I, I do believe I told this story, uh, it goes, Gimme, gimme Wild West, gimme, gimme safe sex, gimme love, gimme love, gimme time to give it up or live it up or something like that. That song came on the radio. It was hugely popular in, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, either late, late, late 80s or, no, it had to be late 80s-ish. Um, I would say 86 or so, maybe 87. Uh, and it was on the radio all the time, and the radio was playing, and I'm going to get back to that in a minute, um, often when we were being driven over to school. But when when it said, give me, uh, give me, give me Wild West, give me, give me safe sex, uh, we would all be singing along with the song, but we certainly wouldn't sing that word. The word sex was taboo. It was like a bad word. We'd get stared at and probably punished. So we would all go, gimme, gimme, uh, wild west, gimme, gimme, say beep for that word. I mean, what? 
We would censor it out because we were so uncomfortable. <laughs> We'd make a joke of it, but no, we were genuinely uncomfortable with that. Uh, so yeah, that's a mess. Um, yeah, that's a mess. Now, I mean, I will say that it's important to, to be taught and to develop a personal respect, an individual, like, well, well-established and founded respect for sex, for sexual relationships, for uh, the sex you're attracted to, for the sex that you are. Um, it, it's important for us to respect our, our bodies and our spirits and our feelings and our relationships and the ability to have sexual relationships. We need to respect the sacredness of that uh, in every form. We should never objectify. We should never cheapen or any, in any way. So that's just a fact. But uh, that's not what was happening. Everything was taboo because it was supposed to basically never cross our minds that sex could be a real thing. And I wonder what they were thinking. We were kids. I mean, we were becoming teenagers. This is just a natural thing. It's biology, my gosh. It's not how you deal with it. And it caused real problems for me and many others, which I don't need to get into. So that's one example of crazy, weird Puritan prudishness. Uh, another one was uh, every morning at Dixie, and I believe, yeah, this happened at Swiss as well. We, we were, uh, as a, before we would leave the house to go to school, we, we were called down to inspection. Yeah, that's inspection. I'm not kidding around. Like what you would see in like a, a Catholic school or some such or some boarding school or thing. Like in, I don't know, Dead Poet Society or whatever. We wouldn't, like we didn't have to wear uniforms, but we were to meet certain standards of dress and uh, hygiene uh, on the inspection. The hygiene I get, man. But let me, let me tell you, he, he, our caretaker, Jonathan, good man altogether, but he was devoted in many ways. He was obedient in many ways. So, I mean, that's good, I guess. But yeah, he would have us breathe and he'd put his nose near our mouth so that he could smell that our breath was clean as, you know, because we brushed our teeth. And he, if, if our breath didn't smell good enough, he'd say, have you acted? And act is, uh, was a common uh, mouthwash back in the day. Is it still today? I do not know. This podcast is not sponsored by ACT, the mouthwash, whether, which may or may or not be still around. Anyway, so yeah, if we, if our breath didn't smell fresh enough, fresh enough, Jonathan would send us up back up to go ACT. Uh, yeah, good times. He would check to make sure for girls, um, their skirts or shorts did not come up above that, that very high above the knees, if I recall. Um, and, um, we guys, I think we just had to make sure that we were short on, like there were no big holes in our clothes and, or jeans and stuff like that, uh, which is funky and weird. That's weird, man. Um, but that was all because we needed to look a certain way and not allure others and not, I mean, look like ragamuffins, I would think. In any case, a little bit of prudishness, no, not so good. However, um, for as long as I can recall, People in this cult, especially the the higher up, up muckety mucks, often changed partners. I mean, it was never a surprise when we found out that this person had wound up remarrying and it was another person in the cult. I mean, it was just a that was a normal thing. That's what resulted in so many of us not knowing um, who our our dad was. You know, that's um, dumb. <laughs> um, Really bad, actually. So there was plenty of partner switching. And sometimes, sometimes, uh, Marianne, that uh, murky, mysterious leader back in the background, she would mandate certain couples or, or at least certain partners for the evening. And I don't know if she respected marriage bonds. 
uh, for that. And so that's disappointing, um, you know, to have such profligate sex at times uh, result in utter prudishness for us. The ultimate damaging takeaway is, of course, that we weren't taught respect for sex. We weren't taught respect for relationships. We weren't taught to hold on at least until we had a relationship with someone we loved. And, of course, today I believe that sex should wait until marriage because uh, marriage is a sacred and wonderful and beautiful um, joining designed to anchor the family with the fam with the children that you're able to bring into that marriage and the sexual relationship should only happen in that as far as I'm concerned others can do whatever they want I don't I really I promise you I'm not judging others who don't follow that but for me that's what I do and that's what I teach because I found that that has led me to the to a greater happiness that I could ever possibly imagine so I'll take it it's a good recipe for me but that's not what I was taught you know I had to learn that later for myself essentially learn it for myself uh, be taught it, but then really try to understand it. But I will tell you, to, you know, I came out of the, the cult feeling very self-conscious about anything sex-like, not knowing really how it functioned, having looked at pornography, unfortunately, a fair amount in print magazines stolen by some of my cronies there in the cult, um, and really just in bad shape overall when it came to kind of sexual health, uh, not understanding really anything on any kind of a, a level that made any sense. Um, to the point that, um, you know, I, I didn't know how to interact with people. Um, and, uh, I, uh, w was extremely shy and extremely nervous and didn't have any morals whatsoever, uh, when it came to stuff, uh, like that. So there you go. I'm not going to get into, you know, past transgressions or past activities, but, you know, I made mistakes here and there, um, and learned a lot and, um, that I'm really glad I did. Uh, please don't read anything. You're welcome to read whatever you want and I made mistakes, but it's probably not what you think. I stayed pretty okay. I think it was because I was so nervous and so shy that I actually tended up, ended up being in pretty good shape, you know, and being able to avoid some of the bigger, bigger issues I could have gotten into. Um, but as I got better, more confident, more aware of myself, more aware of others, uh, and became to kind of got my feet under me, uh, I got to, I learned how to talk to girls, which was great, and learned how to uh, become friends with them, which was really important. So that's good. Okay, so um, that's one double standard. Prudishness, utter prudishness. Keep these kids separate from each other. There can be no relationships between them. And the word sex is a bad word, and penis, oh, must be whispered very quietly. Uh, it's really dumb. Um, but then they were changing partners literally all the time. So there's that. And then um, there was a lot of effort made to keep us kids away from the world. Capital W world I'm talking about here, guys. The world was anything outside of the foundation at the time, you know, the cult commune. And we were kept out of it. We were, they did their very best to keep us out of the world, which, you know, so much effort made, including making faith school, right? They made faith school to get us out of the world, out of the public school, and get us into more this more insular commune. So they had control of us at all time. Um, total, total, essentially totally cut off from this world, Big W, of course, again. Uh, it was frowned upon us for many years to, to talk even to our neighbors. We, we were essentially uh, enjoined, encouraged, and sometimes forbidden to talk to folks in the neighborhood. Now, by the time I was about 16, that was changed. I was able, or 15, really, I should say. 
that had changed and I was we were able to talk to neighbors and that may be because Lucia was so distracted by her megalomania that we were able to stay out of her control and I'm going to get to that here in a minute too um, but yeah the, this separation from the rest of the world um, complete separation except that except that we were allowed to watch all kinds of stuff and I could read all the books I wanted we went to the library we went to the YWCA um, and we could watch, I mean, I watched The Godfather when I was about 11, if I recall, and The Godfather 2 soon after, as soon as it came out. Uh, I watched that terrible, terrible old sex romp comedy, Porky's, pretty graphic, gratuitous sex stuff, from a hiding place behind a couch um, when all the adults were watching it. I watched all kinds of R-rated things that were pretty graphic in their sex scenes, which made me quite uncomfortable. But, you know, ooh, you know, makes me funny, feel funny like climbing a rope in gym class, as Garth Algar would say. Um, you know, so again, keep us away from the world, but expose us to some of the different not great features of, of society in the world. Um, and by keeping us away from the world, they would also, or one thing they would do is they would have these diatribes on Sunday. These They called them revelations, but they were the, just these screeds against the world and government, especially the United States government. So that was a really bizarre, bizarre um, double standard. Another one, uh, yeah. So um, an an another example of keeping us out of the world, you could say, was a time in Dallas when Lucia, again the megalomaniac, forbade rock music. And we obeyed that for maybe 10 seconds to a minute, probably not even a day. Guys, no. We weren't gonna we weren't gonna obey the idea that we would stop listening to rock and roll. You got to be out of your mind. The thing is, forbidding rock and roll music was just a sign of Lucia's total disconnect from us, uh, and her utter lack of care for us. If she had known even the smallest little bit about us, she would have known that music was one of our havens. Music was really important to us. Um, and maybe she did, actually. Maybe she did know that, and she was just being a vindictive little, mm -mm -mm, you know. But she said no rock music, and we continued, you know. We would play rock music. We would get her a radio and, and set it up, and we would listen to big country and great other bands like the Smiths and the Cure and good rock and roll like Echo and the Bunnymen, alternative stuff, you know. While we were, while we were doing our cleanup, it would help us go do cleanup much faster. It was awesome. We'd listen to it while playing basketball, while playing Foursquare, uh, Adam, Adam Keith slash Adam was hugely into rock and roll. Boy, he listened to so much good stuff and had so many albums. Don't know where he got the money for him, but what are you going to do? Anyway, he had so all these tapes, these cassette tapes. He'd play music all the time. So, yeah. And then, of course, we when we were driving around in the car, the radio was on, like I said earlier. You know, I listened to the Shadow Stevens, um, you know, Shadow Stevens. He had this great mellifluous voice. Uh, doing his radio show all the time. So what a stupid thing to do. Try to cut us off from the world by saying no rock music. So uh, yeah, chew on that, Lucia. We didn't listen to you. But then, again, so it's like this weird double standard of do this thing, but then we won't enforce this thing and stuff like that. Which brings us really to the last big point of random double standards. So I've talked about this cult in largely negative uh, you know, tones but with a few exceptions. All the good things I learned, all the skills I gained, certainly the confidence with myself, with my ability to just do things and work hard. I talked about how I have skills 
I mean, I have a lot of skills. I got a lot of skills from growing up in the cult and a lot of confidence with tools um, and the, my ability to just figure stuff out you know, on a construction and fixing and building level. Uh, and so, you know, that that is a lot of good. <clears throat> but really, you've probably heard a lot of stuff about control, a lot of stuff about lack of choice for us. That, that was very much the case. Um, you know, I know that most kids don't get a lot of choice, but I mean, they get to go to school and sometimes choose their classes and they get to choose friends and they get to choose to go and spend time with friends. Uh, and they get to, um, you know, choose maybe extracurricular activities, you know, like sports and stuff like that. I, I did nothing. None of us did that stuff at all because we were at faith school. Faith school didn't have extracurriculars. We did have PE where we'd play kickball or we'd do all kinds of other weird activities. A PE had turned into a less murderous activity once Anthony uh, was removed as PE teacher. Apparently he would do these murder gauntlets or something that I don't even fully understand uh, where people people would like have to run through an actual gauntlet of, of the other kids and the other kids would like put out their hands to try to smack them or chuck something at them. I don't even know. It's so weird. Anthony was a weirdo. Yeah, anyway, still a good guy though. Um, in any case, lots of neglect or lots of cho choice being taken away from us. Uh, in the whole friends and extracurriculars, in how we spent our time. Um, we had to be carted off to school at the exact same time every day. It was the same school. It was homeschooled, basically. Everybody goes to school at the same time every day, so that sounds normal and familiar, as well it should. However, you know, there was no expectation that we'd ever have any kind of uh, self-determination in our lives. We, What we saw was this was our life from now until forever. Uh, we would never get out. We would never have an opportunity to go and find a life for ourselves. Uh, this was it. Uh, and then there was hyper control around, as I said, the inspection, um, hyper control about uh, sometimes our language. I mean, there were things about, you know, how we, how and when we could talk because we weren't supposed to talk before morning prayer that we, that we did. Um, <clears throat> we also had to say, God bless you every time we saw an adult which is weird, but I still can say it in French. Que Dieu vous bénisse. May God bless you or that God blesses you. So that's funny. Um, all that powerful control um, making us go over to Best Friends or Angel Canyon at the time and help build it. Um, the expectation that they could make us write lines for like 5,000 lines for getting in fights. Um, the expectation that everything in the home would constantly be in the state that the megalomaniac and other leaders said it would be um, the expectation of exact and perfect obedience from these adults. Now, I believe my kids should obey me, but I don't try to do it out of fear. I want them to do it out of love. And I really do my very best to lay down mandates as, as rarely as possible. Uh, coercion ain't going to get it done. Um, yeah. So in any case, I never felt like I had much in the way of personal choice when it came to the big important stuff. That said, there was an extraordinary amount of neglect. Um, we had free time up the wazoo, like crazy sometimes. Like, for real though, we'd go to school, we'd get home from school, and where where was our caretaker? I don't even know most of the time. Probably out doing some jobs or errands, 
But I felt like sometimes we had an entire, you know, four to eight to sometimes 10 hours of just unattended time to do whatever we want, which was genius and wonderful. It was brilliant. It wasn't genius, but it was wonderful. Uh, I sure loved having that time to myself. And sometimes it was time with others. Rarely enough for me because I was fairly isolating of myself. But, you know, I, I played, you know, Foursquare plenty and played terrible basketball plenty and went on cockroach stomping um, jaunts in the evenings down in Dallas plenty. And we watched some TV on a sort of rotation as to who could choose what we watched that evening. I chose MacGyver a lot of the time. I loved that show. I don't know if it held up. I don't think it did. Anyway, so um, this extraordinary amount of nobody looking in, literally no adult presence anywhere near, um, that's bizarre. And I mean, I was 11 and then 12 and on through 17. And there was just so little attention given to us. So when the, the, the fancy struck them, they would make us do everything they said and do all the work and all the cleaning and all the cooking sometimes even in my case. But then hours and hours and sometimes huge chunks of days just to do whatever, you know, which is great. But, you know, parents are good. Parents exist for a reason, my friends. Uh, that's neglectful. Um, and often having to kind of fend for ourselves when it came to food. That's yeah, a mess, man. We could get into some real trash and really dumb stuff. So um, that's kind of the biggest double standard of all this crazy neglect but also crazy hyper control. You know, how do you deal with that? How do you, how does that, think about you as a, as a young person, a teenager, uh, maybe not a teenager, a pre-teenager, trying to figure out who you are, trying to live your life, but having nothing stable, having people who treat you like the enemy or treat you like you don't exist. You know, that's it. There were those two extremes. You're the enemy or you don't exist. Um, if you're, when you're the enemy, basically the adults have to deal with you and usually it's not by their choice. It's just because they've been told to, you know, they didn't choose to be our teacher at fate school. They didn't choose as far as I know, they didn't choose to take care of us for a day because they were a sucky funder or whatever. They were just told to. And so we were the enemy that they had to deal with for a certain amount of time or nobody seemed to give a flying crap and nobody could, nobody cared. So we had all this time to ourselves. Again, I don't mind having time for myself, but when if you, you just have no expectation of anybody caring about you, anybody even noticing you, feeling utterly overlooked and utterly non-person, that's not healthy. And that is surprising to me sometimes when I realize that I'm really more or less okay. I have, oh my friends, I have a real thing about being overlooked. If I'm overlooked at work, like if all my work that I do at work is, uh, you know, set as not as, as if it is nothing or it is unvalued, if it's overlooked and like I haven't done anything, that makes me so mad. That's how I left Amazon, actually, guys. Uh, I left Amazon because I'd been working my little happy buns off, bigger growing buns, actually. I got a little bigger there. Um, anyway, I... You know, I, I hit the ground running there. I accomplished a bunch of stuff in my first year, then did even more in my second and third year. Man, I knocked the freaking, I, it was off the charts. I, I delivered this the seminar worldwide. It had a giant effect on our, our salespeople's abilities to actually close sales. It was fantastic. I'm not a salesperson. I'm a trainer and I trained people how to do public speaking and how to create 
better presentations for people um, or for, you know, for their clients and stuff. And I made a bunch of really pretty good e-learning and I did a bunch of solutions for adoption, for training and improving behavior and all that stuff. It was awesome. And then my freaking manager, who was not good, she uh, basically said straight up, I was underperforming uh, and she wanted to put me in a performance improvement plan. I mean, <laughs> three years of blood, sweat, tears, extraordinary amounts of sacrifice. I did about 10 years worth of work in those three years there. And she's telling me I need to be on a performance improvement plan? That's absurd. So I left Amazon immediately after that. I had the opportunity or I had the option of um, fighting it or appealing it rather uh, or taking a pretty solid payout as a severance and leaving. So I took the solid payout as a severance and I left and I haven't looked back. Every so often I think about the adventure of it um, and how it was. It paid okay, pretty, pretty okay, more than okay. But I don't miss it for one hot second, man. Don't don't overlook the work I'm doing. Don't overlook me. So again, that probably goes back to a little bit at least. I think we all probably have a problem with being overlooked. But we were. You know, we were non-people. We were non-useful, non-valuable uh, to those folks. So we were the enemy at times and we were neglected at times. And that is the double standard that was my life. And thank you for listening for to today's call. Hopefully it's not too depressing. My friends, I have a great life. I am surprisingly all right, more than all right. My my voice sounds terrible. Hopefully you've enjoyed these deep, rough tones. Oh, baby, I should record my audiobooks like this. Uh, but um, I have a really good life. And my family is really, truly extraordinary. Uh, happy people who love to spend time with each other. We're learning to get along better. We're learning to treat each other with more respect and to treat ourselves with more, with more respect and to be more careful about how we treat ourselves, how we talk to ourselves and those around us. I think it's great. This, this family is just, it's a miraculous blessing in my life. Um, and generally I get along okay. My anxiety is nearly gone, I think. I, I feel really good. Um, I get to serve people around and me in my neighborhood uh, all the time and I love that. I think it's great. It's a huge part of community. And so my friends, yeah, it sounds bleak and it sucked, but it's been a long time and I'm doing okay. So now I can tell these stories and maybe excise the last little vestiges of maybe anger or bitterness or frustration. And my friends, I encourage you to do the same. You know, don't let your baggage stay baggage. Your baggage can stay baggage for a minute, but as you carry it, it should get you stronger because as you're carrying heavy things, it should make you stronger. But then you should get strong enough to get rid of that baggage. You should learn how to not have to carry such a, a large amount of baggage around. Maybe you learn how to turn it into your armory, your armory of weapons and armor for how to get, you know, get through the tough things in life. So for me, my past is not my baggage. It's an armory full of opportunities and weapons and tools that I will use to conquer the struggles of life. Um, and I'm grateful for that. So thanks for listening. It's been a fun time telling you about these little stories uh, from the cult. Uh, next time it will be episode 27 where I tell a few interesting stories about actually uh, how I was soon after I got out of the cult. At this point, you may be wondering, Jared, maybe you should tell us about how you got out of the cult. I will. I'm going to give a, late, um, a timeline of the cult later 
and then I will tell you how that fits into my own getting out of the cult. But that's going to come in several episodes. Remember to tell your friends. Remember to click on the support button or link. Remember to review. Uh, and remember to keep listening. Listen to all those other episodes again. And uh, we'll meet you on the flip side in the next episode. Thanks a lot, guys.